Hey, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, and of course, that makes this the quarterly report, episode 65. Thank you so much for spending about an hour of your work week listening to yours truly. I really appreciate that. And of course, we've got a great show for you this week. We got a great one lined up. My partner, my guy, Chris Miles from NBA TV, he's stopping by. And of course, when it comes to the NBA world, we got to talk about the biggest name that's kind of in limbo right now. That's Kawhi Leonard and the San Antonio Spurs. Where will the former finals MVP be playing next season? We're going to discuss. Plus, there was once a time not too long ago where Manny Pacquiao fighting was a big deal. But my have time, my how times have changed. We're going to talk about what's next for the Filipino legend and why this is a familiar ending for far too many great boxers. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. What? does one championship mean to you? That is where we're going to start things off this week. And I think it's a poignant question when it comes to the NBA or any championship for that matter and how your favorite team is run and what are they, what they are willing to do to bring a championship is the risk worth the reward. This specifically is part of the dynamic that is going on when it comes to Kawhi Leonard. The San Antonio Spurs clearly understand the commodity that they have on their hands, despite the fact that Kawhi Leonard only has one year left under contract, so he could leave. The Spurs have been quite aggressive and quite demanding in what they would want in return for a potential Kawhi Leonard trade. And a lot of people have questioned the Spurs, like, man, do they understand leverage? And make no mistake, time is not on the Spurs' side, but as things stand right now, there is a legit competition to get Kawhi Leonard. Why? Because despite the fact that he hasn't played essentially in a full season, despite the fact that he has only one year left under contract, despite all of those things, he is without a doubt one of the best players in the world in my opinion one of the top five players in the world and he's special and he can provide a championship absolutely make no mistake if Kawhi Leonard is on a team an NBA team especially in the Eastern Conference I'm gonna touch on this in a second considering what has happened this offseason with LeBron leaving there is not nearly as big of a vacancy that a lot of people are trying to to uh, to make it out to be, but there is a there is a potential opening, and Kawhi Leonard will be the best if he comes east. He is instantly, if he's healthy, instantly the best player in the conference. And we've seen over the last eight years, if you've got the best guy in the conference, you just give him a little bit of help, just a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit. You have a path to the finals. So I've been wondering, but doing the math in my head, like why are all these teams so hesitant to bring in Kawhi Leonard? I get why the Celtics don't want to do it. I truly do. If you're the Boston Celtics, you can look at your team and like, yo, we went seven games with LeBron last year without two potential starters. 
Not to mention Jason Tatum is going to be better next season. Why do we have to do anything? And that's a valid point. As we stand right now, I don't think it's as clear cut as a lot of people make it out to be because there's going to have to be some type of juggling act, right? Brad Stevens will earn that check. All of the praise that we heap on Brad Stevens, he is going to earn that and then some this upcoming season. Really quickly, Kyrie Irving is coming off of knee surgery. Look at the beginning of the 2016-15-16 season, the year Cleveland won the championship. Kyrie was coming off a knee surgery as well. He didn't play that well for the vast majority of the regular season. It's going to take him time. Kyrie is not going to just come back balling. And he's in a contract year. So you know he wants to make sure everyone understands that he's healthy. That's a potential issue. His backup point guard had a hell of a playoffs up until the Eastern Conference Finals. He, too, is in a contract year. He's going to be trying to showcase himself to every other NBA team, maybe even the Celtics, that I am a starter and y'all need to pay me money. That is a potential issue. Marcus Smart, as it stands right now at the time of this recording, has not signed a contract extension. He may be playing for a quali- under his qualifying offer, which means that he too will be an unrestricted free agent after next season. If Marcus Smart is trying to show the world that he can score, that becomes problematic because he is doing things that is not in his character, but because he's chasing dollars, he may feel that, you know what, and I get my PPG up, the dollars will soon follow. That is a potential problem. And then when you factor in that their best player may be Jason Tatum. So Kyrie maybe one, you know Kyrie wants to get shots. And he wants to show the world that he's worth a super max or a max, whatever his uh, contract is worth. He's going to be looking for shots. Terry Rozier is going to be looking for shots. You've got to try to bring in Gordon Hayward to this new dynamic. Whereas last year, Gordon Hayward was built as one of the big three. This year, Gordon Hayward is going to have to be the guy who tries to get in where he fits in because Jason Tatum made his claim, right? He planted his flag, flag. This is my team. This is my team. I'm going to eat. All of these things are going to be happening next season. So while on paper, the Celtics look like they should run away with the conference, I do not believe it is going to be that easy. But I get, back to my main point, why the Celtics are not in a rush to to trade for Kawhi Leonard. I get that 100%. Because from a talent perspective, they don't need him. I get why the 76ers aren't necessarily running crazy to get Kawhi Leonard. They've got two of the best young players in the league, and that does not include the number one overall pick from last year. They've got tons of young talent. Joel Embiid has already resigned. Robert Covington has already resigned. Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz still on their rookie deals. They just drafted Zaire Smith. Their cap situation is perfect. They don't need Kawhi. And... It is worth, it is realistic to think that they could beat Boston. Yes, the Celtics beat the Sixers in five games last year, but those were competitive five games, a five-game series in which Philly had double-digits leads in almost all of those games. They just couldn't close. But that's to be expected from a very young team without any type of playoff leadership. 
So I get why the Sixers are like, nah, you know what? We're not going to offer up the house to get Kawhi Leonard for a potential one-year rental. But what does a championship mean to you? The Celtics, they've got a bunch of them. And they're primed to get another one. The Sixers, they haven't had one since the 80s. And with the exception of a hand, like two or three years, they haven't even been close. I understand why the Lakers don't want to trade for Kawhi. Because the Lakers aren't doing this for just a one year. They want to have a championship dynasty. The Lakers have won 10 championships. Let's let's go back to 1980, right? Just for a nice round number. So in 38 years, essentially 40 years, the Lakers have won 10 championships. 10. That's a once in four year ratio, essentially, average. One championship doesn't mean anything to the Lakers because they're used, they're accustomed to winning them in bunches. So when they think about, man, we could get Ka- Kawhi, they're taking the, the macro approach. Well, we could get Kawhi next year. It's the same thing that they ran into with the Paul George situation, right? We could get we can go all in, or we can wait and keep our assets because they're thinking big picture. Let's get LeBron and Kawhi and still keep Lonzo and Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram. Let's keep all these guys who will be on their rookie deals and heart. That makes sense because if Kawhi and LeBron are then playing with all of those young talent, then that's going to be a hard, that's a, that's a hard team to beat, especially considering what the Golden State Warriors are eyeing when it comes to a luxury tax payroll next, next year. But if you're the Toronto Raptors, how much does the championship mean to you? Because they've never been to the finals. And let's say Kawhi Leonard doesn't give you any type of assurance, doesn't give you any type of guarantee that he'll re-sign. But if Kawhi Leonard plays for your team, if Kawhi Leonard is suiting up for the Toronto Raptors next season, they instantly, instantly put themselves right there with the Boston Celtics to come out of the Eastern Conference. Make no mistake. And I don't care who Toronto gives up. If Toronto has to give up DeMar DeRozan, and I've said this for a while now, they're probably better off. If the Raptors move the Rose, uh, uh, send a package that's based around, centered around DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard, I do that every day in the week, whether he resigns or not, because in a perfect world, he does resign. And then you have a championship core for the next four to five years, depending on how long that contract is. If he doesn't resign, you then still get out of DeMar DeRozan's contract after a year where, yes, DeMar DeRozan was an all-NBA player last season, but he's aging. He's a player who relies heavily on his athleticism, and he's approaching 30. The end of that contract is not going to look good in terms of a production standpoint. In fact, I don't think DeMar DeRozan is that, that productive as we sit right now. We saw in the playoffs they were better when he was on the bench. So you would then be able to get out from under that contract without having to live through the awful years. That's worst case scenario. And make no mistake, Masai Ujiri, he's one of the best GMs. You don't think that they're looking at 20, what, 2020 when, Gian, when Giannis is a free agent? So let's say Kawhi leaves after one year. Well, guess what? You've got cap space to get the biggest free agent in two seasons. It's chess. 
but the, the the folks of Toronto, that fan base, we see Jurassic Park every spring during the playoffs and how rabid a fan base that is. How much would a trip to the finals mean to that city, to that organization, let alone a, a ring? And if you've got the best player in the conference to go along with that amazing bench, let's say you have to move DeRozan. Let's say you have to move uh, Siakam. Let's say you have to move DeLon Wright and a pick and Pearl. You still got a squad. You still got Lowry. You still got Van Vliet. You still got OG Anobi. Valanchunas, you've got all these pieces because you have done the framework. You have done the groundwork of supporting your two quote-unquote all-stars with talent that you can move a bunch of them to get a special, to get a truly elite player to put you in position to win a championship. How much does one championship mean to you and your favorite team? Because that'll tell you all you need to know. I'm a Knicks fan, bro. I The only team I love are the New York Knicks. And I can't tell you how much I wish, how much I wish they could win one. Because it doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. I would, I'm not going to say I would, I would kill, I wouldn't do that. But you feel me? I would do almost anything for one ring. I live in D.C. I just experienced the city win a championship. I was going, I was around town seeing people who couldn't name you, who couldn't tell you what offsides in hockey meant. Just completely jubilant about a championship. Couldn't name three players for the Capitals, but the whole city was going nuts because the city hadn't been called a champion since the early 90s. That's how much the cup meant to this city. Imagine what a, a NFL championship would mean, a Super Bowl title Vince Lombardi would mean to this city. If you if you currently live in D.C. or you know people or once lived in D.C., you understand how this city bleeds burgundy and gold. So when I see the Wizards just kind of content, I'm like, man, what are y'all talking about? What are y'all doing? I'm going to get back to this in the fourth quarter. But I see people say, oh, you know what? I wouldn't move Brad or John, but I give a motto. How much does the title mean to you? Because if the Wizards had John Wall, Kawhi Leonard, Dwight Howard, how, how big is the gap, if any, between them and Boston and Philadelphia because I don't think there would be one because not only would Kawhi be the best player, then John Wall, you, you would imagine his role, his load gets lightened. The, the, I mean, it's just, I sit back and I see and I listen to people that I, and I'm cool with or I'm close to or that I respect and I, and I, and I just kind of listen and, and try to gather where their approach is coming from. And I hear some of the stuff and I, I really have to I really have to take a seat because I don't get it. You are seeing a smart organization, uh, one of the best general managers with Masai Jerry saying, look, we got a we have a small window. We are going all in. We want to win because one championship would mean the world to this city. The Maple Leafs aren't winning anything. We have an opportunity. We have grown this sport in this city. We can take it over with a ring. Just one. Because that one title means the world 
to him, that organization, and to that city. So yeah, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry are all-stars, but what has it won them? What has it won them? The Toronto Raptors have one of the top 10 payrolls in the league, and it hasn't gotten them anything. But it at least gotten them to the conference championships. What the hell have Bradley Bill and John Wall done for the Wizards? What have they done? The Wizards missed the playoffs two years ago. The Wizards lost the first round. The Wizards lost to Kelly Olenek and Isaiah Thomas two years ago. And you mean to tell me that Bradley Bill and John Wall are untouchable? How much does a championship mean to you? Because I understand a champ one championship not meaning anything to the Lakers. They win every four years. I understand why the Celtics, one championship doesn't mean anything to them. Look at the banners. Look how many they won. But if you're the Raptors, go for it. If you're the Bucks, why aren't you going for it? And if you're the Wizards, so many people in D.C. can't stand the, 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 the bravado, the moxie, the arrogance that this team has because they say, what have you earned? What have you done to earn it? But look at the fan base surrounding the team. They act like Bradley Bill and John Wall are the damn untouchables. Elliot Ness. What the hell have they done? That's a, that's a legit open question that I really want to hear your guys' answer to. So while you're listening to this quarter, make sure you hit me up on Twitter. Tweet us at Quarterly Show on Twitter. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or you can email us at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. I want to know your answer. How much is this one championship? How much does it mean to you and your favorite team? Would you be willing to risk it, roll the dice on one of the five best players in the league, Kawhi Leonard, for only one year, guaranteed? Maybe more, but maybe just that one. But that one would bring you one of the five best players in the league and easily the best player in the conference. Is that too much of a risk? Because scam money don't make money. And I'm in the money-making business. You feel me? <laughs> All right, y'all, that's the first quarter. We're going we're gonna to get back to the NBA in just a second. But for the next quarter, my second love, my second favorite sport, the square circle. It's our second topic this week. Second quarter. There was a time not too long ago where Manny Pacquiao's fights were an event, like large-scale, huge drama Huge excitement, like not too long, like a handful of years ago where Manny Pacquiao was the second biggest name in the sport. Even in fights in which he lost, there were, I mean, drama, absolute compelling drama. And this past Saturday night, Manny Pacquiao fought Lucas Matisse, a once legit, strong, exciting fighter in his own right. And for the first time, and I want to say in like eight years, Manny Pacquiao knocked the man out. He had him stopped. And it happened in a whimper. It wasn't even on ESPN. It's ESPN Plus, a subscription-based streaming website. Manny Pacquiao. And now 
we are looking at one of the all-time greatest fighters, and it's become it's, it's something of a broken record when it comes to this sport. Manny Pacquiao, for the longest during during his peak, was trained by Freddie Roach, and they were a great partnership, like one of the best trainers ever and one of the greatest fights ever. And they were just a dominant force together, just ran through multiple divisions, multiple top fighters, multiple championships. And then not too long ago, Freddie Roach was like, no, I'm not doing this anymore because he knew what was coming up. Manny just wasn't the same. Manny needs money. So when someone is desperate and their skills are eroding in the sport of boxing, you know, only one thing that leads to one thing and one thing only. Just an ugly outcome. And look, I, I, I need to say this because while Manny Pacquiao is one of the greats in terms of boxing, he is a flawed human being. Absolutely flawed. So one of the reasons why I, I couldn't stand the everything surrounding the Floyd Mayweather-Manny Pacquiao fight a few years back. Because while Floyd is a dirtbag and an awful human being, he was at least portrayed as such. There was no sugarcoating Floyd, right? They talked about Floyd in the build-up of that fight correctly. Gave you the good, right? Great fighter in the ring. Not necessarily exciting, but absolutely uh, cerebral and a tactician. But they also painted the, the flaws of the man as well, which, again, I think is, is, is um, appropriate because far too often we sugarcoat athletes and we excuse and this isn't just with athletics it's with everything we excuse just deplorable behavior because of skill and talent Manny Pacquiao has said awful homophobic things and he hasn't just doubled down he's tripled down on those on those same thoughts when given kind of a a, a safety net to kind of get get himself back on the proper footing and he didn't he doubled and tripled down on his awful behavior and, and and all of the networks espn fox all of them they played a part in trying to depicting this good versus evil uh backdrop with that fight and i it had really bothered me as a boxing fan so i think it's a it's appropriate to while i'm discussing how legendary of a fighter he is that we talk about his flaws not dwell on them but at least paint a full picture of the man. So I'm not asking for your sympathy for him. But as someone who loves the sport, I see this and I know what's going to happen to him because it happened to Mike Tyson. It happened to Muhammad Ali. It happened to Roy Jones Jr. It happened to Pernell Whitaker. And only a few guys can get out. Oscar De La Hoya, Andre Ward. The guys get out before it's a, it's a problem. They come out on their own terms. Even Miguel Cotto, you know, he lost his last fight, but by all means, he, he, he's made enough money. He's, did, he's done well with his money. He's got his, you know, his quality of life is still high. He speaks well. He moves around well. Those guys are the rarity. And Manny Pacquiao is a congressman in the Philippines. But he keeps fighting because he needs the money. His financial situations. His financial situation is just completely, I can't even imagine how awful, right, his finances are. That 
a man who has made as much money as Manny Pacquiao, who was the face of boxing, of international boxing without question, that his pockets are hurting so much so that in some country outside of the U.S., on a streaming platform that nobody has, he's fighting Lucas Matisse, a once, you know, dominant fighter in his own right, and he's jumping and celebrating like he just won the damn Olympics. And this is the scary thing, right? Because he got his first knockout in almost a decade, this is going to be what ultimately propels him to long-term significant injury. Because... This feeds the, the, the thought process like, oh, man, I got it back. So what, Freddie Roach left? I'll show, I showed him. I showed everybody. So what's next for Manny Pacquiao, right? Because this is where we're at. He's asking for Floyd to come out of retirement. Now, Floyd is another one. Floyd got out. And Floyd's made a lot of money. And I, you know what? <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, and I even hate saying this, but I don't know how long that lasts. Floyd Mayweather makes a lot of money, a lot of money. He shouldn't, his great-grandchildren should never have financial issues with the money he's made. Forbes just came out with it earlier this week. He made more money than any celebrity in 2017. He fought once, and he fought the easiest fight of his life. He should have no problems. But Manny Pacquiao is calling out Floyd for a rematch because he knows he knows you get in the ring with Floyd, you get paid. Manny Pacquiao, what is he doing? Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wanted to see the first time. I didn't watch that fight because I knew what was going to happen. I had no interest in seeing those two guys pass their primes, run around the ring for 12, 12 rounds. I had no interest. Still to this day, I have not seen that fight. But Manny Pacquiao was begging for Floyd to come out and do it again. Why? Because Manny Pacquiao needs money. And at this point, it doesn't seem like Floyd needs that money. And that's where the danger comes, right? Because now Manny's going to look around. And if you look at the welterweight, the, the, the field, the easiest fight for Manny Pacquiao to make is to fight Terrence Crawford. Both guys are fighting at 147. Both guys are welterweights. It's like just the simple. They're both top-ranked fighters. It's easy. Get those two guys. You probably can even make that a pay-per-view fight, which I know Bud and his camp desperately wants. I mean, Terrence Crawford is kind of sitting in no man's land right now. He just beat Jeff Horn, a nobody. But all of the welterweights, all of them that matter, they don't fight on top rank. They're PBC, Premier Boxing Champion Fighters. So there's really nothing for Bud to do unless he goes, you know, breaks the kind of Cold War and goes with a top-ranked promoter. And, you know, those negotiations could get airy, could get ugly, especially considering that Bud has only fought one time at 147. So the easiest fight to make for Manny Pacquiao is to fight his, his stablemate, fight another top-ranked fighter, fight a guy who has a belt, fight Terrence Crawford, that probably gets you a pay-per-view fight, and then you, you're on your way. But Manny Pacquiao isn't desperate enough right now that he's stupid. Because make no mistake, Terrence Crawford will beat the brakes off of Manny Pacquiao. And I know he knows it. I know Freddie Roach knows it. That's why Freddie just said, nah, we're not doing this anymore. 
But that desperation hasn't reached that point yet. He's not desperate enough to become a sacrificial lamb. Because if he fights Terrence Crawford, that's all he is. But his options are running low. Who is there for Manny Pacquiao to fight? He can't even get on ESPN fighting a legit or once super exciting fighter in Matisse. He's talking about Keith Thurman. Man, Keith is a long ways. He just had, who knows what's going on with Keith. And I don't even know if Keith, I mean, I'm sure Keith would like to fight Manny because, again, fighting Manny Pacquiao will get you on pay-per-view because he, he usually is a draw. But Keith is a long way. He's rehabbing. How long is Manny Pacquiao going to wait? And, again, he's Keith Thurman is a PBC fighter, so those negotiations are going to be easy. Top rank has a deal with ESPN. So forget about the cross promotions. You got networks now in the pocket. And Manny's pockets are hurting. So can he play hardball? Can he afford to wait? I don't think so. So that's when that desperation starts kicking in. Does he fight Adrian Broner? Like if you're not going to fight Bud, Broner's a big enough name. He's a, he's a clown himself. So that could sell. Then you know what? Manny probably beats Broner. But then what's next? Because this is the point. When you're that desperate, one fight won't fix your money problems. It's not. It didn't fix it for Ali. didn't fix it for Tyson. The list goes on and on and on. And at some point, Manny's going to find himself in a position where you're like, damn, dog. They got to stop the fight. And you're begging for somebody in Manny's camp to be like, no, stop fighting. But we know it's not going to happen. This is how it plays out in boxing. And you wish there were more Andre Wards, more guys who get in, get their money, do it clean, and get out. But they're not. They're a bunch of Mannies who just all they know how to do. The dude is a congressman. You would imagine that he'd be straight. Nah, Slim. All he knows how to do is fight. And he's going to be fighting until he can't fight anymore. And he's looking up back on the canvas, not knowing where he's at. It's a sad story in the sport, man, but it's a story that we all know too well. So it just hit me like one of the greatest of all time, one of the greatest boxers of all time. Can't even get on a network that's airing Summer League. Summer League. He was on ESPN+. Plus. A platform that nobody watches, that nobody even knows about. It's crazy. It's crazy to think that the legendary Manny Pacquiao is going to go out like this. But understand, this isn't even rock bottom yet. We're not even close to it. But it's approaching. All right, y'all. Y'all heard the horn. That means we are at halftime now. We're halfway through the quarterly report, episode 65. Before we get to halftime this week, we got some house cleaning news to get to. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. We're at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Make sure you email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Email us your questions, your concerns, your thoughts. If you disagree with anything that you heard on the show or if you want me to touch on a topic that I haven't hit yet, all of that is fair game. Email us, tweet at the show. Also, we're on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, uh, 
Pod Knife. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you download and subscribe. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. The show is growing, but we want to make sure you, your friends, your family, and the whole world knows what they're missing out on the quarterly report. So give us a five-star review and let us know what you think about the show. Good, bad, and indifferent. All right, guys. Have time this week. And, you know, there's something that happens in sports and it's been going on. It's been going on for a while now. And I even addressed it a little bit before. But when people who don't like a sport go out of their way to bash it, that irks me so much. It happened this weekend with the World Cup. It's been going on since the World Cup started. I know people or follow people who go out of their way to talk about how much they hate soccer. If you hate soccer, why are you watching? And if you hate soccer so much, why are you talking about it? But it didn't stop with the World Cup. It happened with Wimbledon, the Wimbledon final. The the women of the WNBA have to endure this every single day for God know what we all know why. Unfortunately, they have to endure it. And then baseball fans, they had to do it themselves during the All-Star break with people talking about the home run derby. They're talking about the game itself, et cetera, et cetera. Yo, we got to put it into this. And I know just how with the, a phrase that we're going to start. We're not really Christian because a lot of people say it already. But it's time to really get this phrase into the uh, vernacular of American society. So I'm going to take the initiative here and debut a new segment for halftime. Take a listen. Welcome to the 13th annual Scripps National Colloquialism Spelling Bee. Let's head down to the stage for the finals and our last word. Your word is hating ass muff. Um, can I have the country of origin? United States. Okay, um, what part of speech is it now? Can you please use it in a sentence? Sam hates soccer. Yet he goes out of his way to tell everyone who loves soccer how much he despises it. Sam is a hating ass muff. Hmm. Okay. Um. Hating ass muff. H a t i n g a s s m o t h e r f u c k e r. Hating ass mother. Oh, I'm sorry. Hating ass mother. H a t i n a s s m u f u c k a. Hating ass mother. Oh, what a tough way to go out. However, there can only be one winner at the 13th annual Scripps National Colloquialism Spelling Bee. See you back here next year. Man, I'm serious. There's hating ass motherfuckers out here, Joe, and I can't stand that slim. I'm telling you, it happened. It happened all weekend long. It happened throughout the World Cup. Oh man, I hate soccer. How can you guys watch this, bro? If you don't like something, you think someone would be apathetic, right? If you apathy isn't complaining about something, you know what I'm saying. If you don't like something, you just keep it moving. You just completely ignore it. You got people obsessing. Just it's like they have this desire to let everyone know they don't like something. So it was the World Cup first. 
It was Wimbledon. I'm not even a baseball fan, but I was annoyed by all the people talking about how they didn't enjoy the home run derby and the all-star game. Slim. Hey, Nasbama's everywhere. Y'all got to check that joint, man. Y'all got to stop that because, goodness gracious, it's spreading. It's spreading like the plague. Man, get me some Lysol disinfectant for y'all, Bama's Joe, because I can't have that coming near me and my family, bro. I'm serious. That joint is so annoying. All right, y'all, man. We have made our halftime adjustments. We are ready and willing to get this thing ending on the right foot. So without further ado, we're going to get the second half going with our guest this week, my homeboy, Chris Miles. Third quarter. He is one of my favorite guests, close friend of the program, and you can catch him on NBA TV. He's a host there and on NBC Washington. My guy, Chris Miles. Chris, what's going on, brother? And thank you for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Oh, man, you know, there's no offseason anymore in the league, man. Like, we're late, we late into July, and I'm sitting here like every day there's breaking news and stuff we're still waiting on. So, I mean, it's just crazy. No doubt. And on that note, there has been so much surrounding the Kawhi Leonard saga as it pertains to his next move leaving San Antonio. You recently had a segment with David Griffin on NBA TV, and I thought it was really dope. And he was talking about uh, weighing um, the risk of trading for someone like Kawhi Leonard, who only has one year left, and, and what does represent a fair yet safe deal for the team looking to acquire a top talent like Kawhi. Uh, I'm a Knicks fan. You know this. I know you grew up in New York. You know, the Knicks haven't won a championship in our lifetime. I talked about this a little bit earlier. So a one championship for the Knicks would mean the world to me. The Toronto Raptors have never been to the finals in their entire history. And if they got a top five player like Kawhi Leonard, they absolutely have a real chance, like a real chance at getting to the final, something that would mean the world to this team. This team, they risked Fred Van Vliet last year on the last game of the season because they wanted to win 60 games, uh, uh, something that that franchise had never done. So I guess my question, the roundabout way I'm asking is, what does one championship mean to you, and what would you be willing to risk if you were the Raptors to get one of the five best players in the world? So the key to that is, the two ways you just look at that, right? Like, if you're trying to win a single championship, go at it for one year, then you should be willing to give up some assets for Kawhi Leonard. You know, it's a situation where, let's say you're the Toronto Raptors. You have your top seed in the East, and for, you can't get over that playoff hump. Now, the guy that keeps killing you is LeBron James, and he's gone. So you would think you just run it back with this team and you should come out of the East. But if you're trying to keep it fresh, you got rid of your head coach, Dwayne Casey, who was the NBA coach of the year. Okay, how about DeMar DeRozan goes down there, his psychological issue is gone, you get Kawhi, but in what you give up for him, like DeMar DeRozan and maybe one other piece, if you're Toronto, you don't go right. past that, right? right? And if you're the Lakers, right, who is the team, the rumors that, you know, is running for Kawhi, you feel as though you can sign him long-term. The Spurs know that you feel as though you can sign him long-term, so he's not a one-year rental. So they want the whole house. 
They want Brandon Ingram, who people are really starting to say because of his work ethic, they think he's going to be a star in this league, okay? You want right. him. You want Kuzma, uh, who's also on a very cap-friendly deal. I think he makes just like over a million a year. And you right. want some first-round picks. You want the whole thing. So right. if you're the Lakers, you're like, well, we don't want to give up all of our cap flexibility by giving away our young players who are on good deals to get Kawhi. So it's just a, it's just a crazy situation of what are you willing to give up, and that's why he hasn't been dealt yet. It's that teams are not willing to part ways with players that they still believe in, whether it's Tatum or Brown uh, in Boston or still Fultz in Philadelphia, who's, you know, just turned 20. They right. think that they still believe – they don't know what he's going to become in their eyes. Once again, guys, I'm joined by a friend of the program, Chris Miles. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Chris Miles TV. He is the host on NBA TV, and he does hosting locally in D.C. on NBC Washington. And, um, you know, I think most objective observers of the NBA, you know, not knowing what's going to happen with Toronto just yet in Kawhi, but I think most objective observers would say that, you know, the Eastern Conference now that LeBron is headed out west, right? He's been the juggernaut in this conference for eight straight years, whether it was in Miami or Cleveland. But now that he's gone, most fair-minded people would say that the conference, as it stands right now, is a two-team race between Philadelphia and Boston. You mentioned Fultz and Philadelphia a little earlier. We know about Boston's talent and the, the two players that they're going to get back that didn't play a second in the postseason. But there's an interesting second tier below them that has, um, I guess, their own interesting storylines as well. Between Toronto, as we kind of discussed a little bit earlier, the Wizards, who you and I both know very well, most of the listeners here are in the area, and the Milwaukee Bucks, a team that, let's be honest, they're on the clock now. We all feel that now that LeBron is gone and Kawhi hasn't, the trade hasn't happened yet. That Giannis is the best player in the conference. Yet he hasn't been to the second round ever. So you know he's feeling pressure. And that team is feeling pressure because 2020 is right around the corner. So those three teams, Toronto, Washington, Milwaukee, for three completely different reasons. Which one of those three teams do you feel needs to have the biggest season? Like which team is under the most pressure to have a breakthrough season of those three teams in the Eastern Conference second tier. Oh man, I feel like the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I really do because when I look at the Wizards, we kind of know what they are, and they've they've made some deals, and there are issues with the the possible the locker room, and there's an excuse, there's an out there, you know, right. like John and Brad are kind of what they are, and you know the expectations aren't through the roof. Right. When you look at Toronto, you kind of go, well, I mean, look, they were first in the East last year, and is, if that's not a breakout season because of their playoff uh, issues trying to beat LeBron, then what is a breakout season, right? Like, they kind of already did their thing. But if you look at Milwaukee, if they don't have a great season, not a good season, but at least a top four seed, and probably the Eastern Conference Finals is probably what they need to do, then you're like, wait, Giannis only has two years left on his deal. Right. And they've spent the money on Brooke Lopez, and they've drafted properly, and they've brought Boone in as a head coach. Why is this still not working? 
I mean, I think that that becomes front and center where they can't they can't go out in the first round, and in the second round, I think it's still disappointing for them. Like they have to knock someone off. They have, if Giannis is supposed to be as great as I think he is, I mean, he should be the best player in the East now. So right. if you have the quote best player in the East, you have a coach who has a proven system who won sixty games um, without that kind of talent, that generational talent, when he was with right. the Atlanta Hawks, like, then what are you doing? What's missing? You know, it's funny, man. Things happen so fast in the NBA, you know. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, uh, Chris Miles has an extensive background in New Orleans covering that franchise. And, you know, the way I view the Bucks is a lot of how I viewed uh, New Orleans last season. You know, there's a lot of pressure. Look, make no mistake. 29 other teams in the NBA, they were circling New Orleans, right? They were vultures because they knew, right? Everybody wants Anthony Davis just like everybody wants Giannis. And they are counting down the minutes, not just the out, not just the days, the minutes and hours until both those guys are free agents. In New Orleans, you I got to imagine they feel such a sigh, a huge sigh of relief that they finally were able to, you know, they went to the second round and they, they, they you know, they, they made a put forth a great effort versus the Warriors, right? A team that's better than them, but they put forth an effort. And running that first playoff series for Anthony Davis was huge because you know if he couldn't win, those, those birds, those buzzers were going to start coming. Similarly with Milwaukee, Giannis hasn't won a playoff series yet. And like you said, you start really questioning, like, what is going on? Why isn't this working? So the way New Orleans, how big of a season last year was, just to get some type of success for Anthony Davis, their franchise, their generational star was huge. I feel that type of pressure is now mounting from Milwaukee playing in a lesser conference. Like they know they've got to have some success because Giannis will get, somebody will take him. Someone will tell him how greener the grass is on the opposite side. And Milwaukee really needs to capitalize on this moment. Yeah, when you mention the Pelicans, you got to understand the moves that they're making too to appease Anthony Davis. Look, right. the Julius Randle signing, while, you know, as great as it is basketball-wise, complimenting Anthony, that's Anthony's man. Right. So they were like, oh, this is the guy you want us to go get. You value him over Boogie? We got you. And we're going to oh, save some right. money for doing it. Right? right. Rondo. Anthony Davis wanted to play the Rondo. They were like, all right, we're trying to bring him back. Rondo left for the Lakers. That was a coup. They didn't want that to happen. Like, okay, who do you want us to go get? You like Alfred Payton? Okay, you like playing with him? All right, we'll, we'll go figure this out, even though you might not be the best piece, but that's the guy that AD wants to play with because in the summers, they've played together. They know each other. You see? Right. So it's like one of those things where, okay, this makes sense because they're not just making moves. They're building around their star play. They're right. like, you are a generational talent, and we're going to run, play with pace so you, you get more possessions and put up gaudy numbers and are an MVP candidate, but we're also going to get pass-first players, Julius Randle, interior passer. Uh, Elfrey right. Payton, the only thing he does at an NBA level is defend and, and pass well. Drew Holiday, a shooting guard now, but has spent years as a point guard, also a good passer. So it's all these people that can get Anthony Davis involved. That's how you build the team, even if it's less talented, to try to move forward. So you got to look at the Milwaukee Bucks like, 
okay, what moves are they making now to get Giannis to perform at his best? And that's what we have to see next week. Once again, guys, I'm joined by a friend of the program, my guy, Chris Miles. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Chris Miles TV. He is a host for NBA TV, man. Has all the NBA knowledge and coverage that you could ever want. Plus, locally in the D.C. area, he's a host on NBC Washington doing all types of dope stuff with the network here. Make sure you check him out. And, you know, you just talked about kind of Milwaukee and New Orleans building around their franchise player the front office's job kind of making sure that they appease their generational talents. Well, in Philadelphia, they have two generational talents on the same team, both young, both promising players who within a short period of time probably are two of the best 10 players in this league, yet they can't fill or they still haven't filled their front office position. What is it that you're hearing about Philadelphia and their opening and why they're having difficulties finding someone to fill that position? Well, the main thing that I'm hearing is that the situation there is the team is a little bit arrogant with their success in the sense that they've had a few candidates come in for for job interviews, and it's like, look, we have the best position open in the league. Come come work with us. Right. And they're not really trying to woo general managers. And the other thing, um, you look at their situation with Colangelo and Brett Brown, and you go, okay, what happened there? And there's a tug of war at the top. So are you going to bring in another general manager who just saw a guy leave that situation who had a great track record, right? So, right. so you're going to bring in someone else that's like, well, do I got to deal with this head coach that's not going right. to be into what I'm trying to accomplish? And then – you know, there's the thing with Ben Simmons. As great of a player as he is, he works on his body, spends a lot of time doing that. He's gone a little Hollywood, and the word on the street is he's not working on his shot like he needs to. So wow. these are all situations where if you're a general manager, maybe you're like, okay, I'll pass on this and wait for another opportunity. Because, I mean, on a macro level, those are all the, you know, the, the nuances within the organization. But on a macro level, you got to look at it like, okay, if I come in here and I'm successful, it's still going to go back to the process, right? Like, right. oh, you benefited from these young stars from from the two GMs ago, and that's who's going to get the credit. Whereas if you fail, you screwed up something that was already brewing. So there, there's there's not, you know, as far as your reputation, there's not that much to gain there either, unless you win a championship. So it's a very uh, a very interesting situation for a general manager trying to come into. You know, you make a great point, man, because you know. The Sixers were so much fun, and obviously they've got Ben, they've got Embiid, and Markel Fultz has the potential to be a special player himself. The, the Philadelphia fan base is so rabid that you could come in there and do everything right, but you, the majority of the credit will go to Sam Hankey. They love Hankey so much there. So, you know, any of these guys, whether it's a GM, head coach, all these guys have egos. They want it stroked, and, you know, going to Philadelphia presents, you know, some – um some obstacles when it comes to a general manager's ego and such. So that is interesting to hear. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my man, Chris Miles. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Chris Miles TV, hosts for NBA TV, also locally hosts stuff on NBC Washington, a lot of dope stuff. Um, I've known him for some years now, and one of the reasons why we're so close is because not only do we have 
a love for basketball in the NBA, but we also have a love for hip-hop. And this is going to be my last question to you, Chris. Summer of 2018 has seen a lot of heavy hitters, a lot of big-time, big-name acts release new projects. There haven't necessarily been a lot of great albums, right? But there have been a lot of albums from big-time great artists. So now, you know, we're, you know, about a week and a half out from August. Summer is more than halfway over. Who would you say has put out the best work from a hip-hop perspective? Which album would you do you feel has delivered best? I'm going with two albums and... Uh... First of all, the J Rock. Yeah. I'm, I'm teetering. I'm teetering on that being a classic. Yeah. Because the first time I heard it, I was like, "This is okay." People kind of, you know, they're going, they're a little too high on this. It's okay. Then right. the second time I heard it, you know, there's one thing for a rapper to, to talk about their own issues or their success or what they're dealing with, but when they find a way to make the macro issues into songs that are still kind of fun to listen to, that's when I put them on another level. And J-Rock did that with this album. Like, he really, really did it. And it's fun, but it's introspective, and it has some deeper meanings, but it's not like he's preaching to you. Like, that's, to me, the perfect blend of, like, a poetic, good rap album. And then Pusher, man, holy crap. (laughs) You know but to me, the worst song on it is Infrared. As time has yeah. gone by, I started really hearing the, the, the songs. It was like, hold up. Uh, yeah. Uh, DC Glass Pipe, Baltimore, Baltimore. I was like, oh, gosh. It's just like, I didn't hear that at first. And then yeah, the to rear, I'm like, oh. oh. And then I saw, when I, I, I saw him perform at Echo Stage, and I'm like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. Yeah. The feeling is there. It's there. So those, those are two I'm rocking with. Yeah, I'm with you on, on that, man. I'm not the biggest J-Rock fan, but everybody kept on telling me, yo, you got to check out this J-Rock. You got to check out this J-Rock. And I was like, I'll get to it when I get to it. Slim, he came with it. And I appreciate it because it's like a full-fledged album. And, and when you put that up against something like Daytona, Daytona, I love it. But it's only seven songs. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, I, I listened to that album and I was like, you know, this was dope. This could have been great. You know what I mean? Daytona, Daytona was so dope, and it was like it came like a, a, a like a great holiday weekend. You know what I'm saying? When when you've been working hard, and it came and it went, but you're like, damn dog, I wish it was just a little bit longer. So I can't necessarily put it up there with Rock's album, Sabbath's album. You know, some really good stuff that have come out. But when we're talking about just kind of who had the best summer. I mean, I don't think it's any question. You know, Daytona is absolutely one of the best piece of works that have the best piece of album that have come out. But then when you look at what he did to the most popular rapper in the world, I don't think it's a question who had the best summer. I think Push has that hands down. Well, and the thing about, I think you've heard me go on and on about Drake, and I'm at peace with it in this sense. If you can appreciate Drake as an unbelievable pop artist that right. has the ability to rap, I'm good. Like, I'm good. But right, when we right. talk about J-Rock and Pusher and Kendrick and J. Cole, I just I can't have a conversation about Drake in that realm just because of the things we talked about with J-Rock. Like, 
when people want to, if you want to do a kiki, you know, that song is hot. <laughs> right. That song is fire. But, like, that's a pop song. Or, like, even when he raps, he's rapping about being famous and it's exhausting and Kanye over and over again. And I'm like, I'm, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> now, and other people do care, so they like him more. I don't care about him calling women to his home in yeah. Calabasas or whatever. Like, I, it doesn't matter to me. That is irrelevant. I yeah. don't get points on that. Like, so, you know, but other people do. So I, I think that's very pop, and there's a space in the game for it. And I think he's conquered that like no one else has ever, ever. All right, man. So that's hip-hop. That's some news on the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, GM search and projecting the Eastern Conference all in one interview. There are not too many people who can do it and do it that well. That's my guy, Chris Miles. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Chris Miles TV. He's a host for NBA TV and for NBC Washington. Chris, as always, thank you so much for rocking with me this week on the Quarterly Report. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, so that is three quarters down. We're going to finish the show up very strong with our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. So as I'm sure you can tell, the majority of this show was done before Kawhi Leonard's ultimate trade to the Toronto Raptors. In fact, the interview, the first quarter, everything was done earlier in the week. And then Wednesday morning comes around and... The, the rumors that were swirling, all the, the scuttlebutt, all of the smoke that was surrounding Kawhi Leonard and the possibility of going to Toronto finally came, became a reality. And it's funny, man, because, you know, Wednesday, like anytime there's a, a significant trade in the NBA, there's always just a, a bunch of re, immediate reactions that I feel like over time, and maybe this is just, you know, me shooting a lot of bail to people. <laughs> but I feel like over time, people will come to realize just how crazy some of the instant reaction is. It's always one of, the, one of the many reasons why social media is dangerous because it's almost become reflexive, right? You have an immediate opinion and you just put it out there. Sometimes it's best to just kind of let things sit. I promise you, man, there was nothing funnier leading up to the trade than seeing people that I have been arguing with for a year plus people telling me over and over again, how Kawhi, how Otto Porter, excuse me, is a trash player and he's overrated and he's just, you know, he's all this calling him everything, but his God given name, right? All of a sudden say, man, you know what? The wizard should build a trade sit with Otto Porter as the centerpiece to get Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't think he's good, yet you think he could fetch you a top five overall pick. Or not a top five overall pick, a top five NBA player. You know what I'm saying? The day of the trade, I kid you not, I had Wizards and Bucks fans in my mentions telling me how I was sleeping on them and how the Bucks slash Wizards, whatever the fan that they were of the whatever respective team, were a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. I had Wizards fans tell, telling me that the Philadelphia 76ers are overrated and that the reason why the Sixers won 50-plus wins and was able to turn their team their season around was because of Ersan Ilyasova and Marco Bellinelli. I kid you not. These are real-life discussions that I had. 
And it made me think, man, y'all know I'm a Knicks fan. Cut me open, I bleed orange and blue, right? But the only good thing that has come from essentially two decades worth, two decades of just awful, the you know, disgusting, pathetic performances by my favorite team is that it has beaten the delusion out of me because so many NBA teams and fan bases are just so caught up. The Milwaukee Bucks fans are like seriously thinking that they are better than the Sixers or the Raptors with Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the whole trade itself, in the first quarter I talked about, and this is going to be the theme of this whole show, how much is one championship worth to you? Because I've seen enough people, I think overall, and if you disagree with me, hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show. Email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. But I feel like overall, the overwhelming kind of sentiment of this trade is that the Raptors won. And they won kind of decisively. Um, Masai Ujiri, and I'm a Knicks fan, so I know this firsthand, is rapidly reaching Danny Ainge status, meaning you don't want to trade with him. Daryl Morey and Danny Ainge kind of sit atop the NBA uh, front office execs with this kind of aura around them. Like, you know, anytime you trade with these guys, you will be made to look a fool. Masai Ujiri is now in that discussion. Because he hasn't lost a trade yet. And Masai Ujiri is a guy who has, on multiple occasions now, traded or traded for a quote-unquote star. People forget he was the guy who orchestrated the Carmelo Anthony trade in Denver. And yes, I'm still uh, feeling the emotional effects of that. <laughs> but so many people, I feel like the majority of people understand that this is a win for the Raptors. Because when you're thinking in terms of building a team and ultimately trying to win a championship, you cannot be myopic. You have to have a short-term goal, a short view, but also have a macro approach and seeing how can you build, how can you uh, develop, how can you grow the cap understanding your players who has potential to be great. It's going to be something I address on next week's show. I'm going to give you a little bit of a teaser because small market teams, there is a blueprint on how to win as a small market team. Unfortunately, the best teams who are doing this are teams in large markets. I'm not going to give you too much, but outside of Utah and Utah was saved from themselves because Gordon Hayward chose Boston. But outside of Utah, look at all the other small market teams and look at how they're operating. They're not doing what they need to be doing. They aren't following the blueprint that has been made available. But the people who are following that blueprint are the Toronto's large market, are the Brooklyn Nets large market, the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers. Again, we'll touch on this next week. That's a little bit of a tease. But, you know, there still has been a significant number of quote-unquote NBA experts or insiders who still just don't, I feel like they just are missing the boat. DeMar DeRozan is a good NBA player. He's a really good NBA player, okay? 
I'm not the biggest DeMar DeRozan fan. I never have been. I think his style of play is easily replaceable. He is a very good player, but there are a lot of guys who are like him. The, the issue with DeMar DeRozan is you can put a lot of guys in that position that he's in. If you give a guy 20 times to shoot a game and expect him to score 25 to 26 points, I think a lot of people can do that. Not everybody, not the majority of players, but I think there's a large number of NBA players who could do what DeMar DeRozan does. That means he's not special. You know, he's a good player. And if you're from Toronto or you're a Raptors fan, right? I get the sentimental value of DeMar DeRozan. He is a guy who was a born, he was drafted by your team. He grew up in the system. He has seen Chris Bosh leave. He stayed. Apparently he took less money to stay. And he, he took that team to a conference championship. He took that team to 59 wins. There is a, he's the all-time leader in points for that franchise. There is a lot of a connection, of an attachment to this player. I get it if you're a Raptors fan. But if you're not a Raptors fan, if you do not have an emotional attachment to DeMar DeRozan, I sit here and ask you genuinely, why do you think he's such a great player? What does DeMar DeRozan do that is special? We talked about advanced statistics last week. You don't need an advanced statistic for this. Legit, straight up and down. What does DeMar DeRozan do that is special? And it doesn't have to be just DeRozan. Whatever player you like, whatever team that you follow or players. This isn't fantasy basketball now. What does this player do that is special? Because I know what most of you guys are saying. Oh, man, DeMar DeRozan averages 24, 25 points a game. Man, at some point, we got to all kind of, as a basketball community, get past points per game, man. We've really got to. Points per game doesn't tell you anything. Carmelo Anthony averaged 20-plus points a game his last year in New York. And then went to Oklahoma City, and everyone saw how, what, how awful of a player he is. It wasn't like he just fell off a cliff between his last year in New York and this past season in Oklahoma City. It's just that in New York, he got to shoot as much as he want, as much as he wanted to. If Carmelo Anthony was given that same leash, that same opportunity in Oklahoma City, he would have been able to put up 24, 25 points, but they wouldn't have won games because there would have been too many empty possessions. You know, because he would have missed too many shots. And that's the thing with DeRozan. DeRozan's not an incredibly efficient player. One of the reasons why he's an above average player is because he gets to the free throw line so much. You know, so many people made a big deal about, well, he's an improved three-point shooter. And not really. He wasn't a great three-point shooter last year. In fact, he probably shouldn't have been shooting as much. Shooting as many threes, I should say. The thing that happened with DeRozan is he cut back on so many of his shot attempts and turnovers. That's why he was so much better, because he played in an offensive system that allowed the ball to be free-flowing, you know? But what is he special at? He's not incredibly efficient. He can't shoot three-pointers. He gets to the free-throw line a lot, but he's about to be 29 years old. And hear me when I say this. You don't need to follow advanced statistics for this, but just follow data, right? 
Look at trends, league-wide trends throughout the history of the league. You can do this without necessarily subscribing to an all-in-one statistic or anything like that. Free throw rate is usually the first thing that drops as players age. DeMar DeRozan is about to be 30 years old, right? We all know as you enter your 30s, your athleticism starts to decline unless you're LeBron James or Russell Westbrook, two guys who may not even be human. You feel me? If they did an autopsy when LeBron James and Russell Westbrook eventually pass on, and someone's like, yo, these guys, we don't, we've never seen any organs like this. Would it, how, I mean, it would surprise all of us, but on a scale of one to 10, I'd be like, ah, oh, you know what? That kind of explains it. You know, we haven't seen athletes like these guys. So they are the outliers. But by and large, as you age, your free throw attempt, your free throw rates, your free throw attempts, they start to decline. We saw it with Dwayne Wade. Speaking of Carmelo Anthony, I, we saw it with Carmelo Anthony. Matter of fact, you in D.C., you are watching it happen to John Wall in real life. John Wall is complaining about not getting to the free throw lines, but oftentimes he just can't explode and finish at the rim and draw the, and draw the contact. We're watching it happen. As you age, your free throw rate drops. It's usually the first thing to go. So what actually, the thing that DeMar DeRozan does do well at a special clip is predicated on his athleticism, which as he's staring 30, he's got three more years on that contract. So what the Raptors intelligently did, right? And I've talked about this ad nauseum on this show. If your team is built through two backcourt players, unless you have a Steph Curry, a James Harden, Isaiah Thomas, a player who was an all-time top 20 to the 25 player, you're not going to win. You're not going to achieve anything worthwhile. Masai Ujiri noticed that. He, he was like, you know what? We have hit our ceiling in this kind of, in this space with this lineup with this roster we have done we have gone as far as we can go so why not trade DeMar DeRozan when his trade value is at its all-time peak it will never be higher than it was right now stuff I have tried to talk to Wizards fans my buddies my family about Bradley Bill another player sometimes you have to you have to have an honest what do I always say on this show right you gotta have an Honest self-assessment. You have to always know what you are at all times. And the Raptors, they they took a look. The Celtics, the Raptors were not on the level of the Boston Celtics. They were not on the level of the Philadelphia 76ers. And both those two teams are young and getting better. The Indiana Pacers got younger, got deeper. They got cheaper and they got better. So what are, the, what are the Raptors doing? They had to have a real hard, truthful conversation with themselves to be like, yo, what are we doing? Because we could be the Portland Trailblazers, have these two talented backcourt players, and they're good enough to get us to the playoffs, but we are nowhere close to being a legit title contender. We can be the Washington Wizards, have two all-star guards, Everybody can see the talent, but we're not anywhere close to winning anything that matters. And even more important, right? Earlier this week, they released the, the salary, um, 
the salary situations, the uh, the payroll for each team. And the Golden State Warriors had like the second highest payroll. And the Raptors were in the top 10. The Blazers and the Wizards, I believe, were in the top five. If you are the Wizards, if you are the, the Pistons, if you are the Blazers, if you're the Raptors, and you are anywhere close to Golden State's payroll, you have to ask yourself, what are we doing? Why are we paying this much money for a team that's not anywhere as close, anywhere close to the Golden State Warriors? Why are you doing it? What are we gaining here? So Masai, he did a, it's a risk, but it's a calculated risk. You want to know why? Because as we said, you got the best player in the conference. We have seen what happens in the East when you have the best player in the conference. Now, we don't know if Kawhi is going to be committed. We don't know if he's going to be focused. We have no idea. But you know what? He needs to put together a good season. He does. Make no mistake. He can't have two years in a row. Like, he, you know, he can't put it forth another year like he did last year. That's not good for his career. That's not good for his finances. Someone who wants to have an endorsement. You can't do that two years in a row. You have to put forth a great season, especially if you want a max contract, especially if you want other players to play with you, to team up, to form a super team. You got to put your best foot forward. And if Kawhi is anything close to his best, the Toronto Raptors have as good a shot as any team to play in the finals outside of Golden State. And when I say outside, I'm not just talking about in the East. The Raptors have, the Raptors are as good if they've got a fully committed Kawhi. They're as good as Houston. They're as good as Utah, Oklahoma City, Boston, Philadelphia. They're as good. Because he's that good. You understand? So when you think about the calculated risk, you're getting the best player in the conference. When we've seen eight years in a row, the best player can get you to the finals. But even if Kawhi leaves after a year, you rid yourself of a contract. DeMar DeRozan's contract of a player who is good but is not special, who's on tap to make $30 million on close to for three years. DeMar DeRozan is not that special of a player. If you watch the playoffs, you saw it time and time again. The Raptors played better when DeMar DeRozan was on the bench. Keep on hearing, oh, man, well, he's an all-star. One of the many reasons why we need to do away with conferences, Okay. Because how many of y'all raise your hand if you think that DeMar Rose is going to be anywhere close to a Western Conference All-Star next season? Every last one of y'all better keep y'all hands down. Every last one of y'all. Y'all know DeMar DeRozan isn't a he's, a... he's an All-Star just like Jeff Teague was an All-Star. He's an All-Star because he's in the East. Carmelo Anthony was an All-Star two years ago in the East. Give me a break. You know... Shout out to Kimba Walker. Gordon Dragic was an all-star last season. You know? Come on. What are we talking about? So, the Raptors correctly identified that, you know what? We're paying a lot of money. And we don't have the talent. We don't have the horses to get over to the hump. So, let's go all in. Let's swing for the fences. Let's get a top five player because Make no mistake, top five players do not become available via trade. 
Y'all can talk to me about Paul George. Y'all can talk to me about Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, Carmelo, whomever. Those guys aren't top five players. They're not top five players. Kevin Durant doesn't get traded. LeBron James doesn't get traded. Anthony Davis, I, I don't believe he'll get traded. Steph Curry, those guys don't get traded historically. So if you have an opportunity to get one, this was something I was, I, I couldn't believe more teams in the East, the Milwaukee's, the Wizards weren't doing everything in their power to do it. And then when you realize what they gave up, Pearl and a protected first round pick with DeMar DeRozan, that's what it was. You got to be kicking yourself. How much does a championship mean to you, to your team, to your organization? Because for Masai Ujiri and the Toronto Raptors, it's clear. It means a lot. It means their, it means their most beloved player, maybe ever, if not the second behind Vince, behind only Vince, DeMar DeRozan. He's there. And they traded him, and it's the absolute correct decision. Because for one year, the Raptors have a legit shot at a championship. And if it doesn't work, if worst case scenario, Kawhi leaves after a year, guess what? They've got cap space. And don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. The Raptors, for the law, not just this year, from like two years from now, they have been identifying Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's the guy that they are going after in 2020. Make no mistake, in Milwaukee, y'all had a shot. Y'all had a shot to get that pressure, to get that monkey off of your franchise players' back. And you chose to do nothing. You better hope Mike Budenholzer has the magic elixir to fix whatever's going on in Milwaukee because y'all going to be on the clock very soon. And wouldn't it be something? If even if they lost Kawhi Leonard, then Masai Ujiri would be able to pull Giannis Antetokounmpo to Toronto because he would have been able to show Giannis that, you know what? We have what it takes and we do what is necessary to get to the finals and to make our team a championship contender. You don't get a lot of cracks at it. Ask the Indiana Pacers, ask the Atlanta Hawks, Ask the Memphis Grizzlies. When your time is up, you better make the most of it because it comes and goes just like that. This show comes and goes each and every Thursday, baby. You got to like that segue, right? But you can get in contact with me, not just on Thursday, but any day of the week. We're on Twitter, baby. We're at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. You can email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E report at gmail.com. And make sure you get involved. Listen to the show. Subscribe to the show. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podknife, and wherever else you listen to your podcast. We are there. Let me, let the world, let your friends know what you think about the show. I really appreciate each and every one of you for listening to us. This is episode 65. Again, I want to thank my bro, my guy, Chris Miles from NBA TV for stopping by. And each and every one of you, we will see you back here next week better than ever right here on The Quarterly Report.